Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. There are going to be some key people in your life who are going to teach you more, who you are going to interact with more and whose input you are going to seek out more because of the fact that they are on a, you know, maybe not on a similar level, but they are on a more accessible level to you uh, and you're able to reach out to them, the comfort level or whatever else. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. Hello everyone, welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Today's topic is being a technical evangelist and a developer advocate in the open source ecosystem. I'm your host for today, I'm Bhavya. I'm a product manager and a Web3 evangelist with Exponents Ventures, Private Limited, and a leadership fellow with Women Who Code Blockchain Track. And today I have with me Divya Mohan, who has a decade of industry experience and has assumed roles in senior engineering, people management, technical writing, community building, and developer advocacy. Having worked extensively alongside students, developer communities, enterprise teams, academics and senior exco members in different capacities her focus is in the development and outreach uh, strategies via the establishment of user personas and identification of target audiences in the remit of cloud native tech with extensive technical and community building experience in client facing and leadership roles her aim is to continue enabling client towards maximizing their outreach and amplification of their message in an advisory capacity Welcome, Divya. Super excited to have you here today. I'm excited and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a real pleasure to, uh, you know, be on the podcast and uh, you know, chat with other women in tech. So it's always a pleasure. Great. So let's get started with it. So uh, to start with, can you tell us how you first got interested in tech? Uh, so, uh, to be very frank, I think uh, the reason I started off in tech uh, was because as part of, um, you know, uh, my schooling, I was um, naturally very inclined to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to the sciences and I was inclined to the arts as well. Like uh, those were, I mean, I know that now it sounds very cliche to say that I liked both and, you know, I picked science, but genuinely um, I, I, you know, I've I could pick whatever and I want uh, I wanted and I picked science and um, it was not because of uh, pure pressure or parental pressure I genuinely had an inclination toward um, you know physics in particular uh, and actually I wanted to be a PhD I wanted to take a, a, a PhD in physics that was my initial aim uh, but I quickly pivoted to <laughs> software um, and uh, not software in events. I mean, it was software eventually, but not software in the starting. I first graduated in electronics and then, you know, pivoted to software engineering. So um, my interest was always there. It was a matter of tapping into, you know, uh, the interest uh, in an eventual capacity. I don't think I've had a very straightforward journey into tech, uh, the industry as I know it right now, but uh, it's been a very interesting journey so far. Yeah, I think most of us have ended up in tech just by accident, right? So what do- <laughs> yeah. So what was like the formative experiences or the turning point that led you into the tech, the first, en- uh, like the first encounter with tech? Uh, 
how did that happen right so um i clearly remember that you know the very first encounter that i had with programming or uh, you know um coding or whatever you call it development really uh, was um, before um, you know what we call as you know junior college in um, maharashtra so uh, it is 11th and 12th grade um, for the rest of india so um, uh, in the summer vacations between the two i ended up enrolling for java and c++ just because you know it was fun i mean uh, i clearly was a nerdy kid <laughs> i did not understand much clearly i mean at the age of 14 i barely knew anything about coding but i was like this sounds interesting uh, did not understand much uh, majorly majorly flunked uh, the exams that were there as part of the fun course that i joined and uh, then i was like okay maybe software is not you know where my interest lies and i uh, then you know quickly pivoted into getting into engineering which was not software uh, so that's why i ended up you know taking uh, electronics because i was like i think i'm not really good at writing software or developing software so then it was electronics for another uh, four years after my 12th grade and uh, yeah i mean then i eventually pivoted back to software <laughs> so yeah i mean it is it's a very strange path now that i look back at it but that was the very first pivot movement that i remember um because uh, honestly speaking i don't think a lot of people uh, think uh, at the age of 14 right after you complete your first major exam that you know coding is the first fun thing that you can do but i thought that so <laughs> i think that was the first moment <laughs> right it sounds amazing and we would definitely like to know more about the first wow project that pull you back into engineering and softwares yeah so um basically what happened is after even i uh, graduated from electronics i ended up you know doing a lot of systems engineering so for a major major chunk of my career up till maybe like um uh i joined my second employer which was hsbc um i was primarily doing all sort of um, you know systems engineering work continued that in hsbc uh, but then i think i got the opportunity to work on my uh, you know development skills i wouldn't say development skills full fledgedly because it was just writing scripts <laughs> it was just like basically writing shell scripts and bash scripts for automation uh, but then i was like hey this simplifies lives doesn't it so maybe you know we can actually pivot back to sort of dabbling with software again and then i started onboarding myself into the front end side of things uh, learned um, html css javascript i'm not going to say that i'm really great at coding or programming even today uh, because i clearly lost a lot of headway which i could have gained had i actually done a computer science course or majored in computer science as opposed to electronics but um i think i'm fairly good with the basics and i can you know easily tran you know translate between languages so i mean i can i can figure out what works in one language and how to actually carry that into another language framework so i have that mental model there and i think yeah. that's what matters in like the yeah. whole of the industry right like that's the basic concept that you need completely agreed i think adaptability is like something that's the most important anywhere yeah. in the tech space with the pace it's changing that's especially important 
so with a lot of these tech coming in eventually you start feeling overwhelmed so it's very mm. important to have certain role models in the picture so did you have any important role med- uh, role models that helped you through your journey and motivated you to take on tech oh uh, so uh, role model wise i uh, think like my very first role model with respect to tech um like she it was it was my sister cousin sister she's actually a um a phd so now you realize where i got the phd gene from so um yeah she's a phd and she does um, she now lives in london she's uh, you know doing cancer or uh, research and cures for cancer stuff like that so um i know that's not the form of tech that we were looking at but she was my very first inspiration so to say as like ah this is possible you know you, you can actually do things and you know that's that's beyond like um the standard roles that were sort of assigned to women uh, back then so i mean as women i mean you're not really encouraged to take science as an option um, my my parents and my whole family have been very encouraging touchwood but um, in general that's not the case i know that very well so uh, it it was nice to have a role model in the form of my cousin sister who actually was uh is a phd she's not was she is a phd she'll probably kill me if i say was so she is a phd and uh, uh she works um you know she uh, she still currently works on you know researching uh for cancer and stuff like that so yeah um she was my very first role model and then of course um you know i've read about a bunch of women i am a a completely bookish person i'm a bookworm so i read a lot and uh, as um, as a you know many historical figures come and go i i'm like in awe of all the women who've come before us in tech who've paved the way for us in tech um specifically um, marie curie was the first person i came to know about in that regard and then of course uh, pretty recently i think uh, a i don't think it's not a couple of years back more than that but uh, i read about um ada lovelace who was the first programmer uh, and uh, i actually have uh, one of her uh, one of these comics books uh, comic books uh, that were illustrated by uh, i I'm, i'm i don't remember the author but it was one of those and uh, to me i didn't know that uh, you know she was the first programmer i always assumed uh, because that's what's told to everyone right like charles babbage is the father of the modern computer that's that's what's told to us so i mean i've accumulated a fair amount of role models along the way but my very first one would be my cousin sister with respect to tech at least yeah i think it's great to have role models in family and i think they do imbibe some kind of values that helps us kind of easily adapt into the diversity and inclusivity spectrum of uh, yeah community. Yeah. yeah so moving forward what was your relationship to open source when you got started as you said you explored <laughs> a lot of things while you were entering into it so you definitely had a relationship with open source so I actually it's very funny it's very funny that you asked that uh because to be very frank i knew open source uh like i knew just one open source project uh and that was linux like that was it like that was the no all and be all of my knowledge i did not know anything else and i worked on linux because i was a systems administrator so i worked right. on linux and it was like 
okay this is great it's cool so i know how to work this and uh, then the turning point came uh, it during i think the kubernetes uh, you know wave of things like 2019 was when you know i actually got exposed to kubernetes as a project and right. that is how i entered into the whole open source ecosystem like full fledgedly as a contributor because when i started out linux was the only thing i knew i genuinely knew only about that and i was like oh okay this is cool it's free it's that, that's and of course i knew android and stuff like that i was like oh okay it's free the code is available you can see it great i mean that's 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 all that i knew uh, but i feel like i've come a long way since then because i i basically knew nothing uh, and i just assumed that what's open source is always al also free and now i work in an open source company and i know that's not true so yeah so that's that was my relationship with open source and i think i've come a little ahead from there yeah i think the initial uh, perspective everyone has about open source is that it's free so i don't know how to trust it and how how does it not get stolen so i think yeah, yeah that's a common questions like all of us have had at some point or the other yeah Uh, like you you entered a very new space you switched industries so was there a role of community in developing in your career like a community plays a oh, role sure. sure sure i mean i i genuinely genuinely think that without uh, the support of a lot of people within the open source community i wouldn't have been where i was uh, primarily because uh, i did not know a lot about this community when i was you know working in the silos that was my job before um and i don't blame anyone and i'm not this is not to you know uh, throw shade also at anyone saying that oh you are responsible for this no that's not what i mean it's just how things are it was how it was like i did my job i um you know did whatever i was supposed to do went back home um but when i um uh, wanted to start learning i found the tribe of people that i wanted to learn alongside and um, grow alongside and i think they have played an invaluable part in who i am today because um like it or not you know we are social beings right so when we interact obviously uh you you uh, influence me as much as i influence you in in some or the other capacity correct so at the end of the day uh, i think that my community had a huge role to play like uh, not only from the perspective of uh, you know teaching me things or being really patient with me because um, open source is a very very uh, different ecosystem when you compare it to what you have um in your day to day job like it's it's very different like now that i'm in a company that is primarily open source i can tell you that it's very different uh working in these two worlds so it was it was a refreshing change and it would have been very intimidating had i had no one to support me along the way it would have been extremely like if people were like okay we don't want you here i i would have probably not been here right so there were people there are people and that's what i like about this community so it it played a huge part in welcoming ensuring that i felt welcome and yep. teaching me a lot about things that i should probably you know know more about when it came to community and i'm i'm so so grateful that i found it
So all of us like do appreciate community once we are in it. But I have seen a lot of people having cold feet while trying to join a lot of communities. So how was it for you? Like how did you ease into the community structure? Because it's not very standard in our in our school lives. It's it's something new that we enter when we like start learning about tech. So how did yeah. that transition happen for you? Yeah. So. Uh... I was very intimidated to be very frank with you I uh, lurked a lot like I was a lurker for a really long time I uh, did more research than actually you know actually speaking up at places I should have spoken up in retrospect uh, because um, from my perspective I was when I tried entering open source, I was an already experienced professional. I had six to seven years experience under my belt, right? So it was like, uh, people will think I'm stupid. That's that's the first thing that comes to your mind. People will judge me. People are going to say, oh, you know what? Uh, maybe, you know, she's she doesn't deserve to come this far or, you know, maybe she doesn't deserve to be in the community. So I did my research. I... Um, you know, attended virtual meetups. And luckily for me, the pandemic, I mean, I should not say this because, um, you know, it is going to sound really wrong. Uh, but luckily, or uh, luckily for me and unluckily for the whole world, the pandemic started in 2020 uh, because I had a lot of time uh, to do my research, to attend virtual conferences, to ease myself into a community Um of people I had never met before. So I um, I always tell my friends that I know I appear to be a very, uh, you know, extroverted person. But if you see me at conferences, you probably will not see me anywhere at any of the parties after a conference. Like, I, I am like genuinely tired after a day of interacting with people. So for me, those two years that buffer that it gave me, that was my easing into the community. So it, it was attending virtual meetups day after day. Um, and I helped organize a community event in person just before the pandemic ended. So I had like a lot of friends from there. I made friends, which is like a huge achievement when you reach your 30s. So that was another milestone. And uh, it was like, um, after that, I just, you know, eased myself in by attending meetings, meetups, conferences online. And when the time finally came for the world to open back up, I was ready to actually, you know, dive right back in. It was it was like seamless for me. Uh, but before I did all of this, I lurked. I lurked um, and I figured out if, you know, I could fit in. I could, you know, fit in with the culture of this community. Uh, what are the ways and mannerisms um, you know, because every community, whether you like it or not, they have their ways, they have their mannerisms, they have certain rules that you abide by, they have certain things that you say and you don't say. So you have to sort of figure that out. And that takes research, that takes a lot of lurking. So I did that first. And then I went into like, uh, me, uh, meeting or, or online or virtually. And then I went to the actual part. I know that a lot of people might not have that, you know, uh, luxury. And I hope we don't because I don't want another pandemic. But uh, yeah, this is, that was my journey. So, I mean, the pandemic helped me in a big way. But um, I'm also very, 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 uh, you know, um, not thankful for it 
uh, happening because I was hit by a very bad uh, COVID bout as well. So I get the whole part of it being the worst, uh, you know, thing that has happened to us. But it also mysteriously worked out for me. So yeah, I think it made us all embrace the beauty of slow living and is just trying out things that we are curious about. It just yeah. gave us that courage, to, okay, like to just try it out. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And uh, I remember you saying that you love reading and you've been a bookworm. So yeah. I think writing was your comfort zone. So how did <laughs> yeah. technical writing like play into your career? So actually, I did not have any formal plans of making this my career. Um, so uh, before I joined Open Source and I finished my majoring um, in engineering, I did this really short stint uh, for social media management where I was a content writer for a digital media company. And I was also like a social media manager for their brand. So I had my stint with social media management and writing. And I also wrote for a, um, a newspaper after that. Like I covered the general elections of 2014 for TNA, which is a newspaper in India. So I had my fair share of writing under my belt before I actually attempted things. And yeah. um, anybody who knows me also knows that I read a lot and write a lot. Like I, I'm crazy about like books. Like my father and mother have actually told me not to bring any more books inside the house because there's no space now and we're shifting. So they're like, please don't get any more books inside the house because we we're packing things up and to get like newer boxes every time you just get new you know you just travel anywhere you like get 10 books and come and it's not it's not really feasible so um technical writing was not on my radar i knew i was good at writing i knew i was good at reading i mean i loved reading but uh, open source actually opened this door for me because uh, when i realized that um, in the community there were like um you know, docs that needed to be edited, documents and websites that needed to be edited. I was like, hey, that sounds like something I can do. And then there was, um, you know, the Google season of docs that happened um, yeah. in 2020. And I was like, huh, seems interesting. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And um, the first community that I approached was the community that I worked with, which is Kubernetes. And they were like, um, but you're not a technical writer, so we can't really accept you. I was like, okay, no problem. I'll give some, some other organization a shot who can actually, you know, take on inexperienced technical writers. So yeah. I ended up applying to CERN, uh, which, you know, was I didn't completely expect to get and I was like I got shot down by my own community what are the chances that somebody else accepts me so um CERN actually made me go through like the my mentors at CERN they made me go through like um the technical documentation that they had for a data management system named Rusio so uh that data management system actually collects data from the large hadron collider and yeah. uh, they basically told me, uh, you know what, read through the entire documentation of Rusio and just, you know, sort of um, make a sort of summary or a document about what, um, you know, this particular aspect of Rusio does. So I did that and uh, then I applied and I was like, oh my God, I got it. <laughs> and 
it was a whole three months of working with Sun and figuring out the hows, whys, and whats along the way. But that was my first stint at, you know, formally technically writing alongside, you know, my day job, which was like doing work at HSBC. So I was still very much working with HSBC at this point. And then I, um, I think 2021, towards the end, um, I, I had a lot of commitments uh, at home. And I also uh, was like, I wanted to do something that was more into the open source space. So I started looking out and uh, luckily there was a technical writer position available with my current company. So I asked my uh, former manager Hayden um, whether the you know remote actually meant remote because typically when people write remote it means only American remote or U European remote it doesn't mean Indian. So he's like, um, no, it actually doesn't mean Indian remote. But let me see if I can actually you know work it out. Um, he he was he told me he's like I'm really uh you know impressed by your profile so if you could just let me give you know give me a bit of time and see if I can work it out it'd be great so uh spoiler alert it worked out and that is how I ended up you know being a technical writer uh in in like for a really long I'm not really long like nine months so that is how I ended up like being a technical writer and now I'm also one of the maintainers for the Kubernetes documentation that also happened really simultaneously so like the job changed the maintainer for documentation and I was like wow this is all falling into place isn't it right now so yeah that's how it happened sounds like pretty exciting you had like a quite of a roller coaster right there and <laughs> So yeah, just you, just like you mentioned, after not having the first opportunity at your hand, you did meet certain mentors. So how did that mentors come into play, and how do you think like it's is it important to have mentors while you're uh, like while you're in transitioning of your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know a lot of weight is associated with mentorship, and when you say mentorship, you normally assume that it's just going to be like one person telling you what to do with your life, and it's done. But I really feel like, um, you know, you learn things from every person you meet. I genuinely believe that. So maybe, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, you call everyone your mentor. That I'm not going to say. But uh, there are going to be some key people in your life who are going to teach you more, who you are going to interact with more and whose input you are going to seek out more because of the fact that, they are on a, you know, maybe not on a similar level, but they are on a more accessible level to you. Uh, and you're able to reach out to them, the comfort level or whatever else. But there are mentors and I believe that you should seek them out. Like for um, the Google season of docs, um, it is typically like, uh, at least when I started out, I was really apprehensive to reach out to them even. So uh, participants are normally encouraged to reach out to the mentors. They'll be listed on the uh, Google Season of Docs website. You just have to mail them. I was like, why would anybody at CERN even entertain me? Because I'm not a formal writer. I have like, I just have like, I know Markdown and I know I can write. I know the different static side generators. Like I had a brief overview by then. So why would anybody hire me? 
but they took a chance on my potential. It makes a lot of difference when people take a chance on you and you have to reach out to them to do that. I, if I had not reached out, I'd probably not be here is the long and short of it. So when you want to seek out mentors, you know, the universe does give you the chance, but it's also yeah. on you to take that first step and reach out to them. So I completely yeah. align with what you said. So my master's college actually had this line written over all over the wall. Like 20 seconds of insane courage is all you need. Yes. That 20 seconds when you decide, okay, okay, I, I will give it a shot no matter what. I think that's that's what matters. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds amazing. And okay, so from going, being a bookworm, being a reader and a writer, how did you first become interested in the role of advocating for things? You are a developer, advocate and a technical evangelist as well. Yeah. So reader and writer to a speaker, how did that journey? <laughs> So, uh, fun fact, when I was a child, uh, like I was a child because like yeah. it sounds very <laughs> derogatory, but when I was younger, um, I uh, I used to be very interested in like uh, elocution competitions and talking. Like I, I, you probably know by now that I talk a lot. Like uh, you've, you've been interviewing me for the past like what, 30-ish minutes. So, you know, I talk a lot. But um, also the fact is that um, I... I, in addition to my talking, I realized that, you know, my talking could lead to something like that connection needed to be made always. Like I can't just ramble on about stuff and expect people to understand what I mean when I say things. So um, my passion for tech uh, came about because uh, of, you know, my sister and then a lot of mentors and role models yeah. along the way. And um via advocacy i uh, we are advocating for tech um i felt like i could also uh, empower other you know minorities in tech to actually you know come on board i don't mean to say that i'm some inspirational figure i don't mean that way but i feel like you know if they see a person out there who looks like them who probably sounds a lot like them uh they probably might feel a little more better right so that was that was like the you know maybe the second thought i had but the first thought i had was hey i'm actually good at talking i'm actually good at tech and i'm also good at communicating so maybe you know i should come i should see if there's something for me that you know combines all of these three together when i started out there was not there was not uh, a role that actually spoke to this like developer advocacy was not really a fad or a, a trend back in 2013. I know for sure because I was I was hoping there was some role like this. Uh, not because of anything else, because I genuinely like talking to people about tech. Um, I like working on tech, not going to lie there, but I also like talking to people about it. And yeah. that's that, that was my aim. And I think I always sort of kept my eyes open when uh you know i wanted like um you know I, I don't know maybe it's it's me manifesting this whole job discipline i don't know what happened but i think that is it because yeah like it was me manifesting my uh job role in my in the truest of senses because this is what i think i I at least feel like i'm good at writing and read uh you know talking and i'm good i love text so yeah. That was my, this is my dream job. I, I, and I keep telling people that I was like, what more could you want? Like, 
I get to do cool things. I get to hang out at conferences. I get to talk to people about technology, which I love. I get to learn new technology. I don't have to be worried if they, you know. So my previous job involved fixing things when you know, um, things broke and when customers were trying to access them. So. I keep telling people I don't have to worry about that now. I can actually just focus on learning the tech, uh, and yeah. you know, not worry about like you know, oh my God, uh, what if you know I break things when uh, you know a customer is accessing it. So I don't have that burden either. So when all of these came together, and you know, I realized that there was a whole job discipline. I was like, okay, I maybe manifested this whole thing uh, because this was not very much a thing when I started out. So yeah. I'm really happy I got you. To be yeah. very honest, yeah, I think developer advocacy like really took up once people realized how communities can accelerate your growth and community yeah. learning better than be competitive learning in some aspects. So yeah. yes, def- definitely like there was a wave when all of this got really yeah. Yeah, so talking about uh, how you discussed how it's important to kind of put structure into your technical thoughts via words that are understandable by everyone. How do you usually communicate between product and development? Oh yeah, that's that's definitely a challenge for sure. Uh, because you know how we all use different ways uh, to say the same thing, right? Like if I am saying. Uh, so if I, as a, a person, as an operator or as an administrator, I'm using a particular uh, application, the person who's developing the application will not use the same terminology or the same things because he has a very different view of the application. So yeah. the whole thing is when it comes to developer advocacy or developer relations, the first thing that I do is put myself in their shoes because that is the, and, you know, empathize with them Uh, because I obviously have worked as a, you know, person who uses technology a lot of times and uh, I have developed shell scripts at best at this point. I have not developed, developed things, like not developed a software for sure. But I understand the pains of developers because I've worked alongside developers for a lot of my career, like nearly nine plus years of my career. I've heard developers griping about specific, very specific stuff. Like I know what it feels like to be in their shoes because I took the opportunities of having conversations with them when things were actually broken on a production call. So yeah. that I think was the formative experience that led me to actually, you know, take this job up as well. And, um, you know, get me that experience of putting myself in that shoes of another person and figuring out what their pain points were. So when it comes to balancing uh, or, you know, talking to either side, that is what is the first thing that I do, because obviously I do not know what your pain points are unless I actually communicate with you. And it's absolutely essential that I speak your language. Um, It's absolutely essential that we're on the same page. So you gotta, you know, have those conversations. Um, It could be as simple as a coffee chat. It doesn't necessarily need to be like this, uh, you know, actual meeting with 10,000 people in attendance. It doesn't need to be that. You connect with other people in your organization. You talk to them over coffee chats and because I'm remotely working it definitely has to be virtual 
so there is that challenge as well so it's like that like you connect over coffee chats you connect over zoom calls you put yourself in their positions you know write up summaries of your meetings uh, see if that checks out with the other person you just had you know a coffee chat with that's that's how i keep you know um, tabs of how um, you know the other person or the other people in that specific role speak about the technologies that i am working with so yeah. it makes sense for that and then when it comes to developers i also do the same with them because uh, again they are going to have like a wholly different uh, terminology and vocabulary when it comes to the project or the product that you're using so understanding that is another challenge so that empathizing with them and stepping into their shoes is like the first thing that i do and then doing that regularly and doing that consistently is what matters because you can lose touch yes, right i, I mean you can say oh you know what i've been doing this for so long it's fine i mean i know everything that that's very easy to come by in tech because um it's it's like you know you get overconfident about your skills but unfortunately um people are not software um you know people there are different yeah. people to meet every single time and there is a different thing to learn from every person you meet across the way across not along the way sorry so yeah. i i make sure to keep talking to people um from different parts of the organization from different parts of the world really yeah. to understand where they are at understand what language and vocabulary they use when it comes to the projects that i work with so yeah amazing yeah it's it's just very nice to have you explain how beautifully you explain just like how it's very important to have that narrative that establishes a common point of view between different kind of people who have like different biases coming from their experiences so yeah that was really amazing okay so since you said like you shifted from writing in reading to then advocating how did open source continue to play a role in your career throughout all of this yeah so uh, like i said i work in a company that's primarily open source like suso yeah. uh, is a company that is known for being open source and yeah. um, another fun fact is suso's inception date and uh, my birthday come together so like i was like this this is a match made in heaven the moment i received the offer letter i was like this is a match made in heaven i'm just going to like say yes to the company <laughs> but uh, in general uh, it was an op- it is an open source company and the cloud native suite of things is something that i actively continue to working uh, to work upon i am like i also said before i'm a maintainer for documentation uh, on the kubernetes project and yes. i'm also an ambassador for uh, the cloud native computing foundation uh, which is um, you know which houses a lot of the open source cloud native projects like kubernetes is one of them but there are a bunch of uh, projects around kubernetes that i've developed and made it into an ecosystem so i um, i'm an ambassador for that uh, foundation as well so um that's that's continued to play a role because i have been consistently involved with the kubernetes project and other projects in the ecosystem in different capacities and uh, um in my advisorial role to avesha which is another company that i work with again i work uh on the open source side of things so i have a strong connect to the open source side of things primarily because i started off wanting to be in open source when i started my journey 
uh, late in 2019, early 2000, sorry, 20. So that's that's how I think I stayed on track. Otherwise, it's easy to lose sight of your, um, you know, uh, destination if you don't actually right. actively pursue it. So that's how I think I actually managed to stay continuously in open source um, and, you know, maintain that same track throughout my journey. Yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, so with someone like you and having assumed different roles in the tech industries, now we've talked for a while, so we know you a bit. <laughs> So it's definitely not a skill that you've held on to, but it's more about having the mindset about learning. So hmm. what, what do you think is the most important thing for someone in your position to always have in mind? Um, first, like I said, is the mindset of learning. But uh, other than that, I would, you know, first very much advocate for, you know, I know this sounds very cliche, but I'm going to say that, you know, be a nice person in general. Like we already have too much of uh, negativity and hatred in the tech industry. We don't need more of that. So when you're a nice person who's not a doormat uh, and you know you know how to advocate for yourself, I think uh, you know opportunities do find their way. It's a matter of you know again uh, keeping your eyes open to the opportunities around you and then obviously once those opportunities present themselves you have to also learn and adapt and do a bunch of other things not going to say no but the first thing is to be a nice normal person because we have a lot of toxicity anyway going around uh for a like person like me who basically had no experience in uh development to actually do a 180 degree uh shift to you know working on shell scripts and bash scripts and starting to review things like that and then jumping into a completely different sphere of open source it was not an easy job uh i won't say it's easy although it does look easy in retrospect because um uh, you know it, it feels like you know the dots were connected um but that is in retrospect, right? Like if you asked me in 2020, where are you headed? I probably wouldn't know. I was like, okay, let me just get, get on with my next day. That would be my first thing. So um, although I knew I liked open source, I did not know that it would lead to here. And today, if you ask me where I'm headed, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking about the next day. I'm thinking about how to, you know, get done and, you know, move on to my next task. That is it. What I'd say is that, um, you know, advocate for yourself, even if you're a nice, kind person, it doesn't make sense that, you know, uh, you do a good job and stay quiet about it because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that easily visible to another person because they're wrapped in their own realities and they're wrapped in their own, um, you know, side of things. So they might not really notice you. So it's your job to actually stand up for yourself which is why that is the most important thing. And I wish I had known that earlier when I started off, because it's the first thing that I would say to anyone starting off in any career that talk about yourself, talk about the work that you do. I mean, do work, but also talk about it. Like, just don't talk about, you know, things that you've not done that I'm not going to say, but talk about things that you do. Do work, do your good work, do a good job, do a brilliant job, but also talk about the stuff that you do because that's extremely important yeah i think definitely recognition does play a role and yes if we are supportive of people i think it does help them take on new challenges and learn with the community as well yep 
So what do you see in the future of open source? What's the next big thing coming through? Oh, uh, so now there's a huge, huge uh, thing around licensing and uh, um, security because um, like you said before, right? The very first uh, hindrance towards or block or towards adoption with a lot of open source projects is the security that they offer. And uh, with the recent uh, attacks that have happened, wherein, you know, major security flaws have been discovered in like really fundamental projects that pretty much every, uh, you know, um, library that um, is, you know, relevant to that particular language, the users, it, it's, it's, it's important that we secure uh, the way, you know, we build and we, um, you know, publish open source projects. So security is one big thing that is um, going to gain a lot of traction. And when it comes to the licensing part of it, uh, when it comes to, you know, the, um, you know, uh, not just the licensing, but the chaining and all of the other stuff, uh, that is another big issue because um, a lot of people have confusion because open source has just boomed over the last, I don't know, six, seven years. So yeah. there's a lot of interest around its adoption, but not a lot of people understand licenses because when you talk about proprietary source uh, products, like maybe a product that you've used for a really long time they know okay this is a license these are the associated clauses you're not allowed to distribute that's it you can run stuff on top of it or you can run uh you know something alongside it but you cannot distribute your own version of that particular product so yeah. people understood that but open source is a lot more mushy and vague and um the licensing is a really, really important component given where we are headed. Because with AI and ML coming into the picture, with more complicated structures coming into the picture, wherein there is um, there is a human component involved, wherein you're prompting an AI or an ML to actually give you a very specifically designed um, uh, you know, snippet of a technology. It could very well not be, you know, um, a good way of crafting content or uh, including it in your, you know, whatever, I mean, whatever uh, books or material that you're publishing. So this is just a generative AI reference, but there are so many potential licensing loopholes that need to sort of be addressed. And it's not just uh, loopholes. It's like the licensing thing is something that's going to boom over the next couple of years in my opinion because uh, that's another sphere that is going to take prominence when it comes to uh, you know a lot of these complex uh, technologies that are evolving side by side yeah completely agree and with the like with the pace that now the masses have started accepting technology i think there's more information coming in about what is data how do we need to manage it what is important of privacy so i think yes definitely i can see what you're talking about how licensing is coming in yeah Amazing. It was pretty insightful and like very great uh, learning experience to have this discussion with you. And I am definitely leaving inspired with this talk. Uh, and I would definitely look forward to knowing you more. So before we close, do you have any advice for women in tech who are looking to move into kind of a leadership role? 
so um like i said uh, earlier on like one of my biggest regrets is that i didn't learn to advocate for myself so even if any even if one person listening to this podcast actually learns to advocate for themselves and their work in public i think my job is done uh, that is the major major takeaway i've had across my journey in tech and otherwise that nobody is going to take notice of you unless you advocate for yourself and you you know show up and you do the work obviously the doing the work component a lot of us do um a lot of us uh, really do a really good job of yeah. you know um you know whatever roles are assigned to us and whatever tasks are assigned to us we do a good job but it but we somehow don't get a seat at the table <laughs> and uh, i know that's a bigger problem to solve but the first thing is you need to actually say that hey you know what i have actually done this work so maybe i deserve a chance at the table maybe yeah. i deserve a seat at the table so you know why not take me so that that initiative needs to be there and that is something that i did not do for a really long time and i hope other people learn from my mistakes so that is the only advice that i probably give and that is not even an advice that's just a lesson i have learned and i'm passing it on thank you thank you so much for that great advice and the more we get to know about you the less we think we know of you <laughs> so where can we actually find out more about you how do our listeners get to connect with you and like just talk in general um so i'm there on linkedin i'm there on twitter i'm there on blue sky i'm there on mastodon so i mean wherever you are, like i'm i'm forever online i'm really really online most of the time so uh i think i will share the links with you folks and you could probably put it somewhere but um yeah i'm there on all probable forms of social media that um, are in existence today um and i am very much online so please feel free to reach out i'd be really you know happy to have a conversation uh because it's always great like i said at the start or uh, to connect with other women in tech and to connect with other folks in tech really because i get to learn from you all and uh, what is life if not learning so yeah uh, yes amazing thank you thank you for this amazing session thank you for being here and thank you all for listening to the women who got podcast thank you so much for having me on pleasure yeah Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.